Welcome to the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast, where we invite you to tune in to the stories of some of fashion's most inspirational leaders. From the history of their careers to the current priorities for their businesses and advice for their fellow fashion friends, these conversations cover it all. The In Conversation series is staged in proud partnership with Klarna. Pangaea is nothing short of a sensation. When the startup launched a pop-up at Selfridges in Oxford Street last spring, huge queues snaked around the store as shoppers, emerging from a long and tough lockdown, waited patiently to get their hands on one of their super bright sweatshirts and joggers. The sustainable values and optimistic colour palette struck a chord with a customer looking for style that combined optimism and purpose in a pandemic-ravaged world. However, what's interesting is that Pangaea isn't really a fashion brand at all in the traditional sense. And it doesn't just produce brightly coloured sweats. Its clothing takes in a range of jersey products and denim, for instance. Founded in the UK in 2018, Pangaea is a material science company with a vision to unite scientists, designers, producers and brands and retailers in the pursuit of a more sustainable future for fashion. Its clothing is a manifestation of what's possible when all of these communities come together to create desirable, ethical and sustainable product. I'm Loretta Roberts, Editor-in-Chief of the Industry.Fashion, and today I'm talking to Christine Goulet, who has been nothing short of a trailblazer in the realm of sustainable fashion. Christine is now the Global Director of Science B2B at Pangaea, and part of her role is to encourage other brands to collaborate with Pangaea through the white labelling of their know-how to corporate gifting. Her career in sustainable fashion dates back to 2006, when she began working with Eden Apparel, the ethical clothing company founded by Ali and Bono Hewson. Until April of last year, she was head of sustainable innovation at luxury conglomerate Caring, and she sits on various advisory boards. She tells us what drew her to Pangaea, what it does that is so special, and how transparency and collaboration, combined with science and creativity, will lead to a better future for our industry. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. And thanks for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. We're very excited. We, we genuinely are very excited to hear about Pangaea. Such a trailblazing business. So there's going to be so much to talk about. But before we get to the business, we wanted to talk about you because you've got such an interesting background. And I think you personally have been a trailblazer in sustainable fashion, sustainable materials. So should we go back to the beginning? Can you tell us how you got into this space? How much time do you have? <laughs> You've got all the time in the world. <laughs> it can get long. No, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, I will give you the uh, the, the brief version, but um, it has been a while now when I look back. I think I got into, it's going to show how old I am, but I got into sustainable fashion in 2006. So really, it's been many, many years. And I started my career in sustainable fashion working for Eden Apparel. So Eden is the ethical fashion company founded by Ali Hewson and Bono of U2. And the, the mission of Eden was to create sustainable employment opportunities in sub-Saharan Africa. So we were trying to locate our entire value chain, the entire supply chain in sub-Saharan African countries. It was a really, really exciting business. Also a, a startup. And I was um, in charge of launching the B2B business at Eden. So very similar in a way to what, what I'm doing now at Pangaea. And we'll get into that later. Um, but after spending a few years at Eden, I um, I was in Ireland, in Dublin, great fun, but wanted to get back to Paris. Uh, so I uh, went to INSEAD, the business school, and was in the en- uh, entrepreneurship center there. So I was looking at double and triple bottom line 
companies, looking how you manage the trade-off between the financial return and the impact return you want to achieve. And still uh, kept my love for sustainable fashion alive during the years that I was at INSEAD and um, continued to have students work for Gucci Group and and other designers and was always trying to, you know, keep my my foot there in, in the door with all of um, the network that I had established while at Eden. So after being at INSEAD for a while, I joined the Caring Group in Paris, and I was part of the sustainability team in the headquarters, uh, which was wonderful. Um, just such a, an amazing company to work for with a, a really big commitment to sustainability. There are about 50 people across the group um, focused on sustainability. So my role there was first looking at raw material sourcing, so looking at different supply chains like cotton or um, viscose, and from a top-down perspective, working in a lot of multi-stakeholder working groups on how we address systemic change in these supply chains, and then from a bottom-up perspective, trying to actually find the sources, the producers that we would want to work with and help build capacity and then offtake that material and get it into the, the products of the brands. Um, and then I actually switched into innovation. So that leads into how I got at Pang to Pangaea as well, because for the last um, three and a half, four years while I was at Caring, I helped build out the sustainable innovation practice there and was uh, very much, you know, from about 2017, really looking at all of the new innovators like Colorifics, which we can talk about, or um, Natural Fiber Welding or all of these amazing companies and was trying to see uh, in the caring group how to um, try to get them through that innovation funnel. So what are the pain points that brands are trying to solve for, that the group is trying to solve for, understanding across the value chain, what are the most promising solutions out there, and then bringing them through to try to test and eventually pilot and scale up some of the, the wonderful technologies that we've seen. And then uh, Pangaya came up, and I've been here since April. So That's it's right. been a great journey, yeah. What was it about Pangaea? I think I can imagine now that you've spoken about your career and the kinds of innovators that you were looking at, um, I, I think I can imagine what attracted you to go to this business. But tell us in your own words why you went there. You'd been at this huge conglomerate, this massive group, and there's this really plucky startup doing interesting stuff. What, what mm -hmm. made you go? Yeah, well, that was definitely one of the pieces that that I thought was quite attractive is um, just the the bold the boldness of Pangaea and just um, the ability to sort of take risks and say let's let's do it let's launch it let's go, um, which is really refreshing to be in a, a young company that that really the whole purpose is the whole purpose of the reason that Pangaea exists is to get these material science innovations onto the market. So I love that momentum. Um, and was very excited to be part of that. Uh, but another thing that I thought was really crucial was the willingness of Pangaea to put the resources where they needed to go to make this successful. Because we have an amazing big R&D team, for example, you know, almost 15 people now with expertise across different segments of fashion, um, different uh, types of materials, you know, whether it's active wear or luxury, you know, really broad, broad, amazing experts who are material scientists and textile engineers. So I thought that was really so important. And also, um, we have supply chain partnerships, so joint ventures with our supply chain. And traditionally, fashion has a real arm's length relationship 
more transactional with their supply chain partners. And for innovation to work, you need to have a very close relationship with those um, those important critical players for any of this to work. And you need to be able to develop, co-develop, iterate, you know, optimize, and, and really has to be a day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour relationship to get these technologies off the ground. So that was a really key aspect for me too. Yeah, I can imagine. It's You've answered some of my future questions there, which is fantastic. But because I think some some people in the market, even some people in the fashion market, think about Pangaea and they think, oh, those are the guys that make the sweatshirts, the, the sweatpants, those brightly coloured you know, tracksuits and whatever. And that's probably all they think about. And they know about the sustainability angle that goes into the manufacture of them. But actually, you don't describe yourself as a fashion brand, even though you produce your own fashion. You describe yourselves as a, a material science business and an innovation platform, don't you? You're like a white label solution. It's quite interesting i think the 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 clothing you produce i guess is a manifestation of what you can do with others isn't it yeah that's a great way of putting it i like i'm going to use that it's a manifestation because i think you 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 hit the nail on the head yeah it really is a material sciences company you know at this intersection of design purpose and science and uh every product we come out with, it's it's a proof point in a way. It's a proof point to the market that we can use these new technologies and these new solutions. So I referred to Colorifics briefly before, but Colorifics is an amazing technology. It's a bacteria-based dye where you actually um, splice DNA, uh, DNA code that has a certain color in it. You program it into bacteria, you ferment it. So at, at the our dye house partner, RDD, they're the, the ones who um, has, have done so much research with Colorifics. The only uh, dye house um, in the market today that has commercialized Colorifics, they have bioreactors there to, to, to brew this bacteria. And then you attach it directly to the fabric. I mean, it's just mind-blowing to see how how radical this sort of solution can be. And then when you see the amazing impact it has in terms of water savings, chemical savings, you know, we know we need to do this for the future if we're going to reach any of our sustainability targets, any brands, you know, we have uh, very ambitious targets, everybody to stay within 1.5 degrees. And there was actually a recent paper that came out with the Apparel Impact Institute in Fashion for Good. And they estimate that if we want to achieve as an industry net zero by 2050, 39% of our efforts need to be in innovation because we can't get there with the the solutions that we've, we've been using for years. We have to really make a step change. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, what you've managed to do with the products you've put out is create something incredibly desirable and cool and vibrant. Mm -hmm. And I think what's exciting about that from a consumer perspective is you can show that, the consumer wants this, they'll buy this, and the brands can still make a cool and exciting product, but crucially work to you know, reduce their impact, as you said, and use this innovation. And you've proved that these smaller innovators that are doing things that sound radical and might sound almost like cottage industries as such, they can do it and they can do it at scale. It's That's what I find very exciting about this. You've, you've made it... Mm-hmm. You've made it possible. You've made it cool. You've made it really desirable. Yes, yes. I think um, Pangaea, the team, uh, is so great. You know, the design team and the marketing team, and in terms of sort of explaining technologies and why they're important to to the consumer. Um, and it is desirable. And for so long, 
a sustainable product has been synonymous with it costs more, but it performs less well and right. it's green or beige and <laughs> it yeah, feels right. like a potato sack, you know. Yeah. So Sorry, you literally print on it, don't you? The, the, the environmental credentials are printed on yeah. the, the garment. So people are yeah, walking around right. on the chairs, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a text block which usually states what, what the composition of the garment is um, so that we're, we're really focused on that transparency. Um, but, you know... The, the desirability is very important, as you state, and it is a proof point to other brands that it's possible to launch these innovations, get them to a performance level that they need to be at, that it resonates with the consumer as well. So it's de-risking the space for others to enter. And then it's also driving that demand signal back upstream so that Supply chain partners see this as well. You know, it, it just continues to kind of spread this virtuous cycle um, where everyone starts getting more comfortable with the idea of innovation. Yeah. I want to just talk, I will talk to you a bit about the B2B aspect of the business in a moment because I think that's going to be the most fascinating part for our audience. But before we get there, could we just summarize um, Pangaea as a business right now? So how you, you mentioned you've got 15 people in R&D alone, but how big is the business now and what are the groups of people you have in it and where are you based? Mm -hmm. So the company has grown very, very quickly over the last, I mean, it's only a, a two years, two and a half years old, really. So grown very fast. Um, there are, I believe, over 150 employees now and the headquarters are in London. So most people are based in London. We do have um, some people based in um, New York. And I'm actually in Paris. There are a couple of us on, on mainland Europe, um, as well as our supply chain partners who I referred to. We have Pengaia Grado Zero in Italy. Um, so there are scientists who developed the, the Flower Down, which is one of our hero technologies. And then RDD in Portugal, the fabric mill and dye house. So mostly... Mostly Europe and also a little bit of, of the US. So it's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty sizable and growing business. And there's more to come this year, I know. And you mm -hmm. know, further later in the year, we'll hear more about that. I'm sure. Can you talk to me now, though? So we, we, we've got the. I think, like I say, most people will 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 know you for your brightly coloured sweats and all of that. But your job is B two B. That's that that's your role. You're there to engage the industry. Um, what is it that you can do for other fashion brands and how are you going about doing that? Yeah. So, so first I just want to comment because it's true that everybody recognizes the tracksuit, but Pangaea has, has and is expanding into many other categories. So we, you know, in the D2C side, there was a, a launch of denim. We did um, pan nettle denim, some, you know, substituting uh, the cotton with nettle, also with hemp. So trying to diversify that fiber basket and the importance of that to maintain a healthy ecosystem and biodiversity. Um, you know, we have woven. So there's there's so much. And as you say as well, there's a lot of exciting things coming. So I think, uh, uh, you know, the, everybody will be happy to see more announcements coming out or through Pangaea Lab. There's been the launch of the 12 sunglasses that um, where the lenses are made from a carbon capture technology. So always really pushing, pushing, pushing to get new um, new products, new categories out there. I was going to ask you about the denim. So actually, yeah. since you mentioned it, let's talk about it because um, that is one of those products that is famous 
not yours, but every, other other people's data, famous for taking its toll on the environment, the water and chemical consumption, mm-hmm. or laundry process, for example. Um, when you're looking to develop product, are you looking at certain particular categories that you think need the most innovation or how do you decide what you're going to make? Yes. Uh, so we have within the R&D team uh, who works very, very closely, we have an impact team as well. Um, so there's a lot of alignment done internally to try to understand where we think the priorities are in terms of innovation. So we have innovation pillars uh, that are guideposts to sort of say, okay, we want to divert the industry away from conventional cotton because we know that cotton is used so much and we know that in terms of land use, water use, um, pesticides with conventional cotton, it's it's obviously something we want to to do our best to help in uh, moving away from it. Then we also have sort of move away from petroleum-based products because we also know that synthetic uh, apparel in, in the apparel sector, I think synthetics are almost 70% of what's out on the market. So how do we also divert the industry away from that and focus on innovations in the space? Uh, and so it's through these pillars and the work with the, the impact team that, that we do direct um, the, uh, the focus of, of where we want to innovate. Got it. Interesting. Now, we were talking about the B2B side of it, so yeah, sorry about okay. that. I just want, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so many things, so many things to talk about. So many things to talk about. It's such a fascinating <laughs> business, and um, I want to try and cover as much as we can. So if I'm a, another fashion brand, how could I work with you? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what could you do for me? Yeah. To- so with the B2B, so this is, um, we're calling it Pangaea Science B2B, and we really are trying to provide a turnkey solution for other brands and suppliers to adopt these technologies. So we say we're the innovation concierge and we're really trying to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together to make it very easy for um, anyone else to to, um, uptake on on the solutions that we're seeing. So how do we do this? Well, we have, as I mentioned, the R&D team. So the R&D team is doing the scouting, you know, the testing, understanding what the performance is, you know, because they're all experts, ex Lululemon, ex Adidas, Expedo, X Marks and Spencer, Burberry, I could go on and on. They they really know fashion. They really know uh, well across segments, but and they know what what we need to hit in terms of performance. I work really closely with the product development team, and um, so we we have that internal capacity to uh, be able to to get those technologies to a place where we know we can launch them on the market. Then the impact team is is critical because, as I mentioned, you know there is. Uh, um, a dialogue all the time on what what solutions we're looking at and how do they fit into our, our impact um, priorities. And they also, through the impact team, are working with uh, a third party called Green Story. And Green Story is doing life cycle assessments. So we've done life cycle assessments of, I think, almost 80, I don't want to say the wrong number, but I think it's about 85% of our product range. So really focusing on our key materials so that we are sure that what we're doing is better. And we know if there are certain critical points where we need to look deeper, we know where those are. Um, Also on the B2B side, this means that any customer that we're working with, we're able to supply that quantitative third-party data on impact so they can also communicate this with others. So we have a portfolio of, um, of materials, fabrics, dyes, treatments, 
The, mm-hmm. Some of our materials are like the flower down, which I mentioned earlier. So this is uh, a um, 100% natural, animal-free, petroleum-free substitute for traditional down. So it's, it's you know, you could do your puffer jacket with this, this amazing uh, technology that's made from wildflowers and a biopolymer called uh, polylactic acid. So the ingredients are biodegradable. It has a, a, an aerogel, which is applied to um, enhance thermal qualities. And it's this example of, of what we also try to focus on at Pangaea, was high, which is high-tech naturalism. So how do we take nature in its best form and apply the, the most modern um, technologies we can to, it, to in, increase performance, enhance performance even more. Now it's time to hear a bit more about our wonderful partners, Klarna. Klarna lets customers pay up to 30 days later or in three instalments at thousands of online stores such as ASOS, River Island, Michael Kors, Made.com and many more. Find out more at Klarna.com. When a brand comes to you or when you reach out to a brand and speak to them about um, your solutions, what are the things that they're most concerned about right now? Is, is, is there any commonality? Do, do they? Do you think? Oh, they're they're all worried about X, Y, or Z. Do they? Do they think help us with this, or is it really varied? Uh, no, there are definitely, definitely places of convergence among brands in what they're looking for in more sustainable materials. You know, I yeah. think the majority of them have sort of the sustainability strategy or targets, and some are very sophisticated in terms of um, understanding exactly what they will accept and won't accept. So there is some variation in terms of that um, um, sophistication. But, you yeah. know, most brands, I think, are trying to limit or the use of petroleum-based materials. Um, a lot of brands are looking at circularity, for sure. So how can they uh, look at chemical recycling or mechanical recycling solutions so that they're, they're keeping those materials in play as long as possible? Um, definitely a move to uh, certification. So they want to see organic, you know, um, uh, got certified uh, cotton. They want to yeah. see um, GRS, you know, the global recycling standard to, to be able to feel that that security as well, that 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 work has been done, you know, that that, you know, their the due diligence has been done in the way it should be. Got it. If they um, some like you say, some brands will be very sophisticated. They'll know exactly what they want to achieve. They've, they'll have their priorities straight. They you know that they're working towards certain goals within their companies but others maybe not so organized or maybe not so further down that path do you work with them to assess what they're doing yeah yeah I think that's a a very important part of of how we want to engage with brands and suppliers as I said because suppliers are important in all of this as well um, so we don't expect everybody to know everything by any means, and not every company is lucky enough to have uh, the same resources. So yes, we can help sort of take them through um, the innovation portfolio that we have, why we've chosen these solutions, why it's important in terms of um, their environmental impact or on the social level as well, and uh, work with them from, from wherever they are to try to accompany on that journey, you know, as, as much as, as we can. And we're all on a journey. Nobody is perfect and we're, we're not either. Um, so that's an exciting part of what we're doing is kind of um, moving together and building that momentum together. Yeah. You mentioned the suppliers there. I mean, you've obviously got some great ones in your, 
in your network. I guess it works in a similar way with them. That there's a two-way street there. They're open to your thoughts. You're open to yeah. theirs, etc. Yeah. Personally, I feel like suppliers have been somewhat left out of the innovation con- um, conversation that you often have the brand and the innovator leading the charge and saying, hey, supplier, we want you to use this. But they're so critical. They're so important in this whole process in terms of even at the R&D stage to say, this is going to work. This probably won't. This will be much easier to implement. This won't. So we need to include them in the conversation earlier. We need to um, you know, put forward the suppliers that are doing things the correct way and congratulate them for that. And um, they don't always have that direct access to the innovators themselves. So being able to speak with them about what we're seeing and where we want to go and, and trying to develop relationships with suppliers is, is really um, part of, of our strategy. They're very yeah. key in all of this. It just sounds like a nice virtuous collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think in light of what we've all been through, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about the pandemic here because we have to in a moment, but do you think in light of what's gone on that businesses and I'm, you know, brands, suppliers, whoever they may be, are now more open to talking to each other and sharing ideas for the common good. Do you find that? I do. I do. I think with sustainability in general, there's sort of, you know, it's been called um, cooperation. Yeah. <laughs> You're sort of in the middle of, of, of um, wanting to be cooperative, but also trying to say, well, I need my competitive advantage here. But yeah, no, I think there's, there is definitely an openness. There's a lot of collaboration, um, there's a goodwill, you know, um, everyone's woken up in the last few years to the, the gravity of the climate situation we're in. And um, I think it's become uh, front and center for brands and suppliers to really make make these uh, bold moves now and make sure that we're addressing the situation. So there's, there's a lot of uh, good com- camaraderie, I'd say, in the space. Well, that's nice. That's nice to hear. And also, it feels good. This business has grown up in the era of pandemic, basically, hasn't it? It was sort of born maybe around the time the pandemic started. And <laughs> I mean, that's got to have been a very tough experience. I mean, you joined in the middle of this uh, this strange time. But one of the other things that's come out of it, and it's testament to the people that I saw queuing up for your product when you launched it here in London, is I think consumers are thinking a bit more carefully about how they consume right and you and you've produced product that I feel it feels like uh, I don't know serendipity like it's all come together at the right time because you they're looking for something to make them feel a bit more optimistic because we've all been a bit depressed they're looking for something that um is comfortable because Mm -hmm. we've all got used to that um and they're looking for something that speaks to their I guess relatively newfound values when it comes to sustainability Mm -hmm. um that's what your that's what your product seems to do which I think is rather rather nice but also in businesses you must surely be finding I mean you work for trailblazing companies from way back in 2006 but it feels fairly recent for some of them that they've pushed this sustainability agenda higher up their priority list doesn't it yeah yeah no for several companies um it's it's more recent and you know I was just mentioning how people have woken up everyone's sort of woken up in the last um, three or four years. And I, for a long time, never thought we would be in this position where we weren't trying to 
facilitate change, change management around why we need to be more sustainable. But we are. Everybody understands it. And, and we're really rapidly moving toward, um, toward the goals, you know, that, that we set for ourselves. And, and it's very refreshing. And uh, um, it's a relief to see that, yeah, it, it is headline news now. Like we, we all know what we need to, to do and we're taking those steps. Can I just take you back? Because now, now we've gone down this road, I'd like to just go back to, say, 2006 with you because mm-hmm. I think I probably just started in fashion at that point myself. And you'd go to the old seminar about sustainable fashion. Nobody would be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or that you'd go to a conference and there'd be a sustainable fashion stream. You know, only a few sort of worthy folk would turn up and listen to it and then maybe not do very much about it. It wasn't because they were bad people. They were just stuck in a system of, you know, other priorities and values. Mm-hmm. But now it feels to me, I'm sure it's not the case for every business, but it feels to me like you must be pushing on an open door and it's not just particular champions in the business it comes right from the top right through yeah. the business yeah yeah you're totally you're totally right on that I mean we have so, uh, so many brands contacting us on the b2b side you know reaching out amazing brands who who um, want to partner in some way you know who uh, want to be part of the the movement of you know as you were rightfully saying like sparking some joy in people um, today with <laughs> everything that's happening. And, um, and I think Pangaea tries to be joyful about it, you know, tries to be incredibly optimistic and positive in this kind of quest to be earth positive that we're all on. So uh, it is, it is an open door and in many respects, and um, it's makes it a lot of fun. It's really, uh, people are open, brands are open, they're craving, um, they're craving this partnership, not just with Pangaea, but in general, of course, to, to be more sustainable, to find the solutions, um, to engage their customers, um, to, to make sure they're, they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, because that's one of the things that I've found in the past has been a bit, a bit of a barrier, is that people worry that they're not perfect, and they worry that if they make a stand or a public statement about something good that they're doing, that they'll just get attacked for all the things that they're not doing and mm-hmm. it will never be good enough. And it's all very depressing. So best not talk about it. But what's so wonderful about what you do is exactly what you just said is you make this transformation joyous and fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. really, really the key to your success. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I think there are masterminds in Pangaea who really um, uh, have a feel for what what is going to resonate and how to approach this in in a way that um, that draws people in instead of pushes them away. And it's mm-hmm. a fine line there, right? But you can you have to is. be, yeah, yeah. yeah. It mm-hmm. is. Do you think now that the consumer they've got so much more power um, and they've got such a louder voice and a, a more powerful voice than they ever did? Do you think that the way we consume fashion has now changed permanently? I mean, I know some people are not as concerned about this as others, but do you think it's changed Mm -hmm. for good? That is an interesting question. I personally 
don't like focusing on the consumer too much, honestly. I feel that there are so many reasons right now for brands to and suppliers, everybody in this ecosystem to behave more sustainably, that we don't need to be putting too much responsibility on the consumer um, him or herself. You know, there's new regulation coming down the pike. Um, you know, in France, for example, you can no longer destroy uh, textiles. So it leads brands to say, okay, we need to find a, a circular solution here. Um, there are reports out showing that brands that are more sustainable uh, perform better on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, or they're going to have more ESG investment. So there's that positive business case. Um, there's the fact that if brands are not sourcing in a more um, thoughtful way, there won't be a supply in 15 years or 20 years because of climate change. So there's a huge de-risk there in terms of supply chain sourcing. On the reputational side, same thing. It's, it's they'll, you know, there's reputational risk if, if you're not doing the right things. With technology today, it's very easy to really um, have that visibility in your supply chain that we didn't have 15 years ago necessarily. And um, it's driving people to make sure they're doing things more carefully. So I, I like to focus on all of these reasons um, yeah. that we need to be doing this and why this change is, is for good um, and not just, on, not just on the consumer. It's yeah. a such a good point, actually. Um, I think often people sort of like to wag their finger at the consumer and say, oh, well, if you don't ask for it, it won't happen. Right. But you've made the case so cogently and coherently for not waiting for that to be the case. Exactly. You should be able to take it for granted that you're behaving properly, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a very interesting point. Um, but what do you think about that? Having, I know you don't want to focus on that side of things, mm -hmm. but I'm, I, I'm quite interested in this revolution we're seeing in people being more willing to sort of rent their clothes, they want to resell their mm -hmm. clothes. There's a whole change in the way the market and brands are tapping into that as well, aren't they? They're offering those services now. So there's, it's, it's been quite a revolution, I think. On the yes, no, that, that is true. That is true. And the revolution is easier when the financial incentives are aligned with the impact incentives, which I think when you look at circular business models, it, it is quite aligned, you know, it's better for the consumer to say, I'm spending less money on this, this product and saving some, some money. And it means we're not, producing necessarily um, the same thing, which would cause a huge environmental impact. And for companies, it, open, it opens all you know, new potential revenue streams for them, um, helps with the excess inventory issue. So that is an area where you know, often people think sustainability and financial return are um, in, in competition and circular business models are one where they're not. We still need more impact data, actually, I should add. But Assuming it does have the impact we all think, it's running parallel and it makes it very easy for brands and consumers to move in that direction. Where it gets harder for consumers is where products are much you know, more expensive and they're not able to, they really have to change the way that, that they, they're thinking about their wardrobes overall. And I think um, that's, that's a, a, more of a challenge, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and um, I just find it—I just find it quite fascinating because it all just seems to have really, from both sides and also the supply side, actually, these three areas come together for the first time in the past few years because there'd always been 
they'd never seemed quite joined up before to me and it's just been you're just in a great space at the moment so if I'm a fashion business Christine I'm, I'm not I'd like to be actually but I took a different route I'm writing about it and watching it um if I'm a fashion business right now and I came to you with not much of a clue about what it was I should focus on what I should prioritize what would you say the single biggest thing I could do to make a positive impact would be you know where, where should I start when it came to cleaning up my act? In your own individual capacity? As a a brand, yeah, should I do, oh. would it be, I would, if I was a brand, was a brand? I, I, say I was a brand, yeah, not mm-hmm. me, because I'm, okay. I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> would you okay. say, start with your materials, start with your dyes, whatever it is, I don't know, I'd be really sure. interested to know yeah. where you start. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to my days at Caring, at Caring, there's an impact methodology called the environmental profit and loss, which looks across the value chain and across certain environmental indicators like land use, water use, air pollution, um, uh, water pollution, and shows where the impacts are. And with that methodology, um, which I know is quite rigorous from having been there, 70% (laughs) of the impacts were at the raw material stage. So at that um, tier four, you know, the cotton the leather, the, um, you know, yeah. wool. So that I would focus on that raw materials. I would focus, yeah, as, as a first step. And I think the two ends of the value chain are really the areas to look at. So if you can not source virgin raw materials or do that in a better way, um, then you're going to really create more of a positive impact. And at, so that also implies circularity because that if you're doing, if you have circular solutions, you're not going back and sourcing the virgin raw materials. So those are the two biggest bangs for your buck. I call it return on investment on impact or the textile exchange says ROI squared or something. But the other thing that is so, so promising is everything around regenerative agriculture, which again, this fashion, um, the apparel sector has really started focusing on this in the last couple of years, because that's where you can see you can have a positive impact. You know, you can help the soil become more nutrient than it was before. Um, So that's really key. It's it's not just having less of a bad impact, but how do you actually be earth positive? And and that's um, a clear area where you can do that. Mm -hmm. That's so helpful. Thank you very much for that, because I do think sometimes it feels like such a big issue and you're trying to understand where do I start? That is such a great place to start. And I'd love, I love the fact that it's not about lessening your impact, but it's actually having a positive one as well. Mm-hmm. You can put something in that wasn't there before and, and, and help that way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's imagine it's five years from now. So it's 2027 and we're talking again. Let's hope we are, but let's, let's imagine we are. What would you like? What were the big changes you would like to have seen happen between now and then? Like, I'd really like to. I'd really like to be looking back and thinking, "Great, we achieved that as an industry." Well, I know it's a big question, but there must be yeah. key priorities. Um, well, I think we, as an industry, need to make great strides in terms of making our economy circular and not linear. And luckily, there's so much work happening there. You know, we talked about the circular business models. There are amazing technologies um, on the chemical recycling side, the textile to textile recycling. Um, there's there's just so much activity. We have the Ellen MacArthur Foundation really um, helping in terms of uh, thought leadership, but also putting forward certain 
um, uh, innovators, you know, a fashion for good, running a lot of good uh, collective impact sort of projects around this. So I think that is quite exciting. And I, I believe that uh, over time we will be reusing. We won't be thinking of waste as waste. We'll be thinking of, of waste as something valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Are you optimistic then? About- I am. You know, it's funny because when I do um, speaking engagements, sometimes I'd show that the glass half empty, glass half full and ask and take like the temperature of everybody in the audience to see where they were, you know? Yeah. And um, most of the time people were optimistic. Every once in a while, you know, people were ready to, to colonize Mars, but I'd say most <laughs> of the time people are optimistic. I guess it's the nature, human nature. We we like to see progress. We like to, you know, we're tool builders. We like to make things yeah. and change things. And um, so I think we're I on the right track. Oh well, that's very that's very heartening, um, and I'm pleased to I'm pleased to hear it. Um, I think also fashion fashion is an industry that thrives on change and it imposes change on itself, you know. Mm-hmm. So it can change because it likes doing that. And I know sometimes that's painful, but mm-hmm. other times it's quite a fun thing and it's quite a challenging thing. And I just I do think the industry is more than up for it. So it's good to hear that you think so. Yeah. Think so yeah. Um, we just we just have to do it a little faster. That's all. We just, we just have to get on with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's be optimistic and happy, but just get on with it. I think that's, yeah. a, really, <laughs> that's a really good. Um, that's a good place on which to end the conversation for now. But we'd love to catch up with you again in future and see where you're going as a business and where you think the industry is. I, I just want to say thank you, Christine, because you brightened up my day just as much as one of your sweatshirts, I'm sure, would. So. Um, we wish you best of luck and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks, Loretta. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed listening to the In Conversation podcast. If ever you want to be there in person, visit our website at theindustry.fashion and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know about future events. You will also be kept up to date with breaking news, in-depth features and our data-led consumer studies. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our partners, Klarna. And keep an eye on the website, subscribe, sign up, do whatever it is you do to be sure not to miss the next episode.